So tonight's reading is taken from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the ill person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Well, I remember when I was uh, nine years old, and I had 52 verrucas on one foot. Already you've said that is gross. I, I appreciate that. That is disgusting, isn't it? It was like an infestation of verrucas that started on the bowl of my foot and kind of the heel of it and spread up across to the sort of underneath my toes. It was absolutely disgusting. I was tempted to sort of do like little dots on the feet, cut and paste, cut and paste, cut and paste, but I thought 52 is a lot to cut and paste. I'm not going to do it. But you get the idea. The reason I know I had 52 verrucas on one foot was because my mum and I sat down together and with a biro pen, we circled and ticked each one and we counted all the verrucas and there was 52 verrucas that just spread all over my foot. It was taken over my foot in a gross, horrible way. It was disgusting. Now, when you've got 52 verrucas on your foot, you can't kind of go to the chemist and get that bazooka, the verruca thing, because you're going to have to cover your whole foot in acid. It's not going to work. So I had to go to the doctors who referred me to a specialist. Now, the specialist looked at my foot and he was like, that is disgusting. That is gross. I don't know how this has happened, but they've spread. Have you been picking them? Have you been scratching at your foot? What have you done to get 52 verrucas on one foot? He didn't say that, but he was grossed out. He said, basically, you've got three options. He said, um, we can cut them out. And if you know what verrucas are like, they're not the warts that grow out, but they bed their root inside. They kind of like twist their way in. So he said, we can cut each verruca out if you want. That's option one. He said, well, you can probably burn them out. I don't know whether that was, I don't know if it was a laser or acid or something, but it was a burny option. And then there was like a freezy option as well. You kind of, we can freeze these things and get them off your foot. Now, I was a nine-year-old boy. Option one, do you want the knife? Option two, is it the laser? Option three, do you want a fr I didn't want any of the options, to be honest. Neither of the options seemed nice to me. I was petrified at the age of nine. He was a very kind, generous doctor, and he said, why don't you go away and have a little think about it? We'll reschedule uh, another appointment. Uh, you can come back and see myself, uh, but, but decide what you want to do, and I'll personally treat you in a, around a month's time. Great. Uh, so I kind of um, tried to forget about it and got on with doing the things that nine-year-olds do. And then I was picking my nose and all that sort of stuff, you know, just not in too much important stuff. But I was petrified about these verrucas being cut out. At the same time this was kind of happening, there was an elderly lady that was a guest speaker at our church. 
she came along, and she's an incredible lady, um, and quite old uh, in age, but she'd been a Christian a long time. She'd prayed for a lot of people. She'd prayed for people and seen some great stuff. She'd prayed for people and, and not seen great stuff. She had a great level of faith. She was very human. She knew the sort of struggles that we go through, the things that we experience in life. But she shared some stories about praying for people who were blind and they received sight. She'd prayed for other people that were sick and they'd got well. She'd prayed for others, like I say, and they didn't. But some of these stories were absolutely incredible. And I was like, I've got Veruca's on my foot. This lady prays for people who uh, are not, not well and, and are sick. And, and I just wonder if I could kind of go and get this lady to kind of pray for me. So there was worship. There was prayer. There was an invitation for people to come if you were sick, if you had a headache, if you had uh, difficult sleeping. Whatever it was, she wanted just to say a prayer over people that were really struggling at this time. So she prayed over me. The incredible thing was she, she laid hands on me and she invited just someone from the congregation just to join. She said, just, just place your hand on, on Paul and we're just going to pray for him. Um, thankfully, she didn't tell him about the 52 verrucas on my foot. She didn't get me to show him because that would have been awful. But she just prayed a prayer. And this is a prayer. She said, Lord, I pray that you would come, that you would heal Paul's foot. You would remove all the verrucas from his foot and that you would make his skin like baby soft skin. That's quite nice. So as soon as the prayer finished, I ran into the, the youth room. It was like a side room. I looked around. I whipped off my shoe. I whipped off my sock and I looked at my foot and they were still there. And I was like, oh, okay. And I kind of forgot about it, to be honest. I was like, well, she's prayed. That's lovely. It was a nice prayer and so on. And I got on with life. My mum woke me up uh, one morning uh, to take me to, I thought, take me to school. And she said, oh, you're not going to school this morning. Um, I'm taking you to the hospital. Remember, you, you're gonna, we're going to get your foot treated. I was like, oh, no. It was kind of doomsday for my foot. So I arrived at the hospital absolutely petrified. I'd probably had an accident or two because um, I was so ne nervous and scared. I had lots of uh, toilet trips. I got to the hospital. I sat on the bed. It was the same doctor. He spoke to my mom. He'd asked how my month had been. It's, it's fine. It's great. So he said, could you take off your shoe and your sock, please? Took off my shoe. Took off my sock. And he picked up my foot and he looked at my foot. And then he went back to his notes. And he had a little look at his notes. He said, I'm so sorry. Can you take your other shoe off and your other sock? And I was like, okay, well, you're the doctor. I'll, I'll do it. So I took my other shoe off and my other sock. And then he looked at both of my feet. And he said, I don't understand. He said, you've got no verrucas on any of your feet. In fact, your skin is like baby soft skin. And my mum and I looked at each other and I was like, oh my goodness. My mum went bright red and he was like, what, what has happened? You haven't, you haven't been treated in this time. What, what has happened? And my mum, very nervously and quite embarrassedly, said, oh, there was an old lady that came to the church and she prayed and, uh, and, and, and we weren't checking, to be honest, but, but she prayed and, and, and we, well, we think that God's maybe removed and healed his foot. Now, the doctor didn't know what to do. So the doctor kind of went back to his notes, but he couldn't treat me and he didn't know what to write down. I don't know if he wrote down, there's a miracle gone on or I don't know what's happened here. This guy's got a twin. I don't know what it is. <laughs> But he couldn't treat me, and they were completely gone, and my skin was like baby soft skin. Now, 
I was nine when that happened, so I kind of grew up in this church and, and having this belief and this level of faith of like, well, God does heal, and I've experienced God heal, and I've had friends that have been healed and friends that have prayed for people that have been healed, but I live with a dad that's sick, and he's never been healed, and he doesn't get healed, and we've prayed for him for years. And I lived in this tension of I know that God heals, I know that God does miracles, I know that God does amazing things. We see it sometimes, we don't see it all the time, but I know that I know that he does heal. First time I, I preached uh, at the same church, um, the church was silly enough to allow me to preach. I think it was at like 19 or something. So it was kind of 10 years on from this and having a little journey of thinking and praying about healing and all that sort of stuff. I delivered the sermon. I can't remember what it was. It was probably rubbish. Kind of, it was kind of being that good. Um, and I don't remember really even what it was about, but I do remember at the end of my talk, this, this elderly lady came up with her husband and she said to me, I feel like God said to me, at the end of Paul's talk, just ask Paul to, to pray for you. Because I've got this problem with my breathing, and I've had numerous antibiotics, I've been to numerous doctors, I've been to numerous specialists, I've been on breathing apparatus, and, and nothing's working. But just go to Paul at the end of this talk and just ask him to pray for you. And I was like, great. So the lady came and, and she prayed for me and all this is going on in my head. Well, God, you've healed me. I've seen this, but, but it's complicated. And, and how does this whole thing work and so on? So why I do what I do when I'm nervous and I babble and I talk. And that comes out in my prayers as well. So I kind of stepped down off the stage um, and I was with her husband and I was just like, oh Lord, we pray for Anne and we thank you that you knew her before she was born uh, and we thank you that uh, she's married and we thank you for George. Uh, and, we th and I was just like waffling and waffling and waffling and praying and panicking. I'm thinking, God, please just do something. She's, she believes that God's told her that, that she should come to me for prayer. And, and I was praying and I just felt God say, and I, and I could have been wrong, but I just got the impression. I f felt God say, Paul, get out of the way. Now, people say that to me all the time. It's fine. I was like, Paul, just move out of the way. But the interesting thing was, as I was kind of praying and waffling and going on and praying and praying, and as I, said, I felt God say, Paul, just move out of the way. As soon as I stepped out of the way, she fell on her back. I was like, whoa. Now, husband, thankfully, was there. He caught her, so he, he took her down. And she was down on the floor, laid out in the spirit. And I was like, God, what have I done? Have I killed her? Like, what has happened? Like, why is she on the floor? Like, I didn't pray for her to fall on the floor. We're praying for a breathing, remember? Like, what's just happened? And I'm praying, and I'm panicking, and so on. So I kneel down next to her, because I'm like, I'm so sorry that this has happened. <laughs> like, you know, and I'm looking at her husband, saying, please don't punch me, you know. Uh, and I'm praying for, for this lady, and she's on the floor. And again, got this little thought, this little thought without thinking, it, a little inclination. I felt like God say, Paul, when she gets up, she's going to be healed. I was like, oh, I pray that is true. Lord, I mean, maybe is that just wishful thinking? Like, hey, that would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be amazing. Paul, when she gets up, she's going to be healed. So a young little teenage, 19-year-old guy, I just get out of the way, and I just wait for her to get up. She sits up, and then she kneels up, and then she stands up, and then she goes, I'm completely healed. It's completely gone. I'm completely healed and her husband's crying and weeping and they're all happy and it's all amazing and it's all great. Now I'm aware that 
I can share stories like that. We can hear stories like that. And that's great, isn't it? Praise God, and, and, and we can be filled with faith. And I'm aware that for, for every story I could tell of answered prayer, I could tell you 10 of unanswered prayer, and I don't know why, and it's complicated, and it's a mystery, yet we know that God does heal, that he asks us to pray for people to be healed, that he asks us to pray for the sick, pray for the weak. And even if we think about the Bible, if we look at Scripture within the Bible, it's tricky and it's complicated. There's different people that believe different things about uh, healing and around this subject, around worship, around prayer. There's different opinions going on. And, and I understand that it's a difficult thing. And even within this room, there'll be people that have prayed for people and they've, they've got better. There'll have been people that have prayed for people and they've got worse. There have been people that have prayed for people and have been praying for people for years and nothing's happened and maybe they've even passed. And I'm aware that even within the room, we all hold a level of tension pain, some of us hurt, some of us was full of expectate, uh, expectancy and faith. I'm aware of that. And even within the, the text of James 5 that we look at, if just look at a couple of these buzzwords. We've got words like confess. We've got words like healing. We've got words like faith. And we can get ourselves um, thinking about these things, thinking about confess for, for, for just for, as the first one. We can think, well, do I need to confess all my sins to be healed? And how much sin do I need to confess? And if I'm sick, is it because I haven't confessed and it because there's sin in my life? Do I need to confess everything? James talks about confess your sins, you'll be well. And I think if you read the commentaries around this, there's actually a greater emphasis on the word confess, being more about, in the presence of believers, confessing that we are all sinners and that we need God. We confess together, Lord, we're broken. Lord, it's a broken world. Lord, we're sinners. Lord, we confess that we need you. Because for me, trying to think of every single sin that I've done, I couldn't do it. And I, I, I couldn't dig deep enough. And it just doesn't seem right. There's words like healing. You know, you will be made well. You, the sick will become better. You will be healed. Uh, and what does healing look like? All sorts of levels of healing and different types of healing. Emotional healing, spiritual healing, mental healing, physical healing. Healing of a broken heart, healing of a broken relationship. And let's be honest, when we confess things to people, a level of healing happens anyway. You talk to any doctor, any uh, counsellor or psychiatrist, and they'll tell you that people can literally sometimes be doubled over in, in guilt and their bodies can ache and groan because there's just things that they haven't got off their chest. Without digging deep, they're just carrying stuff that they know. We can see it. We can experience that. Then there's the faith thing. It's like, well, you know, a prayer of a righteous man or a prayer offered in faith will produce fruit, like James said. But how much faith? Is it the person that's praying and they've got loads of faith so therefore it'll happen? Is it the person that's being prayed for or they've got faith, there's enough prayer so that'll happen? Is it the faith of us together when we come together that we've got enough faith and enough level of faith that therefore that person will heal, will kind of hit the threshold? Is it my faith? Is it your faith? Is it his faith? Is it her faith? Is it our faith? Is it the cat's faith? Whose faith is it? And I think if we're honest, we can get ourselves caught up in a bit of a tangled mess. Thinking theologically about all these things, we can end up in a bit of a mess. We can be like, Lord, what, what is it? 
what's the magic? What's the silver bullet? Is there a silver bullet? What is the, what is the actual magic words? Is there? We can get ourselves caught up in a big old theological, emotional, mental mess when we try and look at things and grapple with things like that. And there is a bit of a mystery in there that might never fully know and fully understand this side of eternity. And I think I want to say at this point as well that praise God for the NHS. Thank God for the NHS. From the very humble, simple plaster that keeps out dirt and keeps away infection to the trained surgeon that's able to deal with our bodies, that's able to operate on our bodies, that's able to bring a level of healing, restoration, and to heal us when we are sick. Praise God for the doctors. Praise God for those that he's gifted with the ability to learn and study and bring about medicine and care. How we've advanced with all the technology and so on that we can help people who are sick. I think it's worth saying that actually, praise God for that God-given gift of the doctors and the surgeons. And not to despise that and see that as something that's kind of other, something that's kind of second. I believe that God's gifted people in certain areas and certain ways. And actually, biblically, when you think about it, you see the Apostle Paul. He referred to Luke. He used to call him his beloved physician. The beloved physician. Timothy, when he was ill, he would take wine uh, for, for an upset stomach. He had a, a stomach problem, and there was wine that was recommended to him. So they didn't despise medicine in, in Scripture. They didn't despise doctors. There were doctors, there was medicine. Things like that existed, and God used them things. But it's not the full picture. It's not the full picture. Yes, they exist. Yes, God uses them. Praise God for them. But in Scripture, we see moments and times where the kingdom of God breaks out this side of eternity and things happen. They haven't gone to a doctor. Some people haven't even been prayed for or laid hands on. But people have got out of beds. People have got out of tombs. People have been restored. People's sights have been restored. We see through Scripture that the kingdom of God breaks out, that Jesus comes and brings and carries and, and embodiments of the kingdom. And you see something different. You see something that is a, of a foretaste, really, of what is to come. When we think about Scripture and we think about um, the different ways of thinking, I think really there's, there's three strands that we think about the kingdom of God breaking out. And people, in my opinion, can fall into three different strands and three different categories. And it's, it, the, the subject of it or the name of it is, is eschatology. You know, it's a bit of a, a big word. It's basically the study of the end times. It's a study of the kingdom of God being here on earth now and what might it look like. And different people believe different things. Um, and I've got a, a simpler version about this. You've got uh, realized eschatology, future eschatology, and inaugurated eschatology, something that's begun. But really, put simply, it's really now, then, or both. So there would be some people that would believe theologically that the kingdom of God is here now, in fullness now. So therefore, everybody who you pray for should be healed. The kingdom of God should break out, does break out now, because it came with Jesus. It's here now, healing for everybody, uh, uh, restoration for everybody now, here this side of eternity. The problem with that is for me, is that Jesus, even when he was here and he started and brought about the kingdom, he still said to his disciples, pray that, pray that the kingdom of God would come. 
Pray that my will would be done. Pray that the kingdom of God would be done now as it is in heaven because it wasn't being done. Yes, Jesus had begun it, but it wasn't being done. Jesus is still inviting us even when he's there. Please pray. Please pray for the kingdom of God to come as it is in heaven because it wasn't being done. Then there's the people that might fall in the category of the then. It's like, well, actually, it's not for now. Healing, the kingdom of God, breaking out, them sort of things, it's not for now. It's for then. It's for when Jesus returns. It's the revelation to anyone who's restoring all things, and all things will be made new. Wipe away every tear from the eye. That's not enough for me, to be honest. It just doesn't seem right. They might believe that it, it died with the disciples, that yes, they saw stuff, but that's not for now. We've got to wait until Jesus comes back. Like, that just doesn't seem right. It's not enough to have to wait that one day when Jesus comes. And actually, Jesus asks us to pray for people. Scripture tells us to pray for people, to go and heal, to go and minister, to go and bring the kingdom of God now. Not just, hey guys, I know it's sorry about that. Just sit, hold on tight, you know, Jesus is coming. And then there's the third category, which would be the inaugurated eschatology, which is both. It's now and it's not yet. The kingdom of God is now because it started when Jesus came. He brought the kingdom of God with him. It's begun and it's, it's rolling and it's moving, but it's also to come as well. The kingdom of God will come fully when he returns. Ultimately, we will be healed, restored when Jesus comes back. But we get these foretastes. We get these glimpses. We get these moments where his kingdom breaks out. And we're like, oh, I know now what heaven's going to look like. I know now what they mean when he's going to wipe away tears. I know now what he means. It's both. It's now and not yet. Somebody once uh, used the analogy or the picture that I find quite helpful of the picket fence. I'm sure you've seen one of these uh, in America. Uh, they're around the little garden and so on, but we see them, we know what it is. And the fence is there. You don't want to deny that there's, there's a, not a fence. There's definitely a fence there. It's present. But if you look at the slats, you see that it's there, it's present. You have a slat and there's a gap. And it's there and there's a gap, and it's there, and there's a gap. In other words, the kingdom of God is now, and it's not yet. It's now, and it's not yet. We pray for somebody, and we see amazing things. The kingdom of God breaks through. It's now, we pray for somebody else. It just isn't happening. This side of eternity that we see yet, it's not yet. It's now, and it's not yet. And it's kind of patchy, and it's painful, and it's a tension that we live in. But let's not despise the fact that it is now. And that's just not to think, oh, well, one day. Well, one day. But be aware of the tension of the two that coexist in one space. Even within the passage that we've looked at, James 5, we see that the passage talks about the prayer that is offered in faith. The prayer of faith. And it's the one we read out, and it's like the prayer offered in faith will make the person well. The prayer offered in faith will produce much fruit. But the previous passage, the previous uh, paragraph talked about patience in suffering. Together in the same text, being aware that we need to be patient in suffering, we need to pray for the kingdom of God, we need to pray, pray in faith, but we don't fully know. It's a mystery. The two hold together. Uh, we have a, a tradition at Christmas, and um, we put all our Christmas presents 
under the tree once the kids are in bed. So that so when the children come down, they see all the presents. They're like, wow, look at this. This is amazing. All the Christmas uh, presents. Look at who's is who and so on. But this year, we started a new tradition. We allowed them to open one present early. They opened a Christmas present on Christmas Eve. Now, it was just pajamas, which meant they got new pajamas. They went to bed in new pajamas, and they woke up on Christmas Day in new pajamas. I find this helpful because I think there's moments where we get to open a present early. It's almost like we know what's coming. Christmas is coming. The presents, the gifts, the amazing things are there that's happening. But these moments, there's moments where we get a foretaste of what's to come. There's moments where we unwrap something and we're like, wow, and we know there's more to come. We know what is coming. It's helpful when we think about this. Now, James, in the passage that we've looked at, he isn't really going deep theologically. He's not talking about what the Apostle Paul's talking about in Corinthians where he says, some's given this gift and that gift. When you meet together and the Spirit comes, it's that and it's this. He's talking about it in the context of, if there's anybody sick in your congregation, if there's anybody sick in your connect groups, anybody sick, sick in your gathering, then pray for them. The emphasis, the core really, is on the importance of prayer for the weak and the sick. It's a compassion thing. It's a thing of saying, look, together, we're all in pain, we're all struggling, some of us high on life, some of us in the valleys, but let's, let's be aware of the needs within our congregation and let's pray for each other because we care for each other. We don't know what the outcome is. It's not our responsibility, but we're asked to pray. We're asked to pray together as a community for a family, for one another. When I was in New Zealand, um, I was in a church that they ran a ministry called The Well. And The Well was this idea of, um, of living water. They discovered that the church was actually built on a spring, on a well, which was interesting. But they gathered together once a month, uh, and it was, it was prayer for healing. So it was specifically for people that would want prayer for all kinds of healing, um, broken heart, physical, mental, emotional, you know what I mean. But the idea was that people would come together. It was in the context of worship, which our themes are. We're looking at worship and healing. They'd come together. Somebody would just worship quiet in the corner. It would be candlelit. They'd be just strumming away, worshiping God. People would come in. They'd take a seat. And they'd wait to be to invited up to be prayed for. So there'd be uh, uh, two people stationed around the church. They'd be praying for people. And when there was a, a availability, they'd kind of beckon the person and they would come up and they would pray for them. That was an amazing thing. People were prayed for. Some people were healed. Some people weren't healed. It's a bumpy, patchy thing. But the interesting thing about this was that there was a season, a, a chapter or whatever it was, where people were coming to be prayed for, for healing. And they would sit in the context of worship, waiting to be prayed for. And as the worship leader was just worshiping God, and they would just sit in the presence of God, and they were just worshiping God, they'd get up to be prayed for, and they'd already been healed. And they were like, oh my goodness, like, I, could, I couldn't do that, but I can do that. And it's like, it's, it's like no, it's fine, I'm good, and they'd go. It was incredible because nobody prayed for them. Nobody laid hands on them. It wasn't a prayer of faith. It wasn't a big shouty prayer. It wasn't a really biblical sort of like um, sermon and then a prayer. They were just in the presence of God. They were just in the context of worship. Worshiping God. This mystery, God, 
does these things we don't fully know. Now, the interesting thing about the well was that they were praying for people in the congregation, and that is what James is looking at. But I think if you look through Scripture and you look at what Jesus did and what the acts of the, the, the apostles did in Acts and so on, you see that it didn't stay as, as, as a well, but actually it was more like a river. And the church in New Zealand, they renamed their ministry from the well to the river. With this idea that, yes, we pray for each other in the church, but it doesn't stop there. The idea is that we pray for each other, we build up this faith, and then we go out. And it flows into the city, it flows into our workplaces, it flows into our homes, it flows to the bus stop. That when we've experienced people praying for us, we say, I'm going to pray for somebody else. I'm going to pray for my friend or my colleague or my university uh, friend or whatever. And I think that's an amazing thing. And I just want to touch on that just for a moment because I think there's something in that. We've just had a prayer ministry session on Saturday and it kept coming up again and again and again that it it, it is for us, it is for this context, yes, but let's not forget those on the outsides, the people that don't come to church, the people that don't know Jesus. Some of you will know that my sister um, authored a book. She brought out a book. It's called The Infographic Bible. Um, which is it's going really well. It's taken a five years to do, but just going through Scripture, looking at all the different passages, all the different themes, and turning it into something visual. I was able to contribute one of the pages, and my page looked a little bit like this. And it was, it, it was um, a, a sort of you are here sort of thing. And the, f- the focus that I was looking at was where did Jesus minister? That was my page. Where did Jesus minister? That was my focus that I was asked to look at. And when I looked at uh, the scriptures and the gospels, I went through with a fine tooth comb and I looked at where did Jesus minister? Where was it that he ministered? And it wasn't just in religious buildings and it wasn't just in, in this place and that place. Oh, it was on a beach or it was in someone's house or it was in the marketplace. Oh, wow, it was in a garden. And as I went through the gospels and different translations and every time it was mentioned, I logged it and logged it and logged it. I realized that where Jesus ministered, we had a percentage of this. And when my sister collated collaborated all the stuff and got all the information, it became clear that 22% of Jesus' ministry was in religious buildings, meaning that 78% was outside of religious buildings. It's interesting, actually, that 22% of Jesus' ministry was in people's homes as well, the exact same percentage as in religious buildings. When you think about connect groups, that's just incredible, isn't it? But 78% of Jesus' ministry was outside. So we experience prayer. We ask the kingdom of God to come. We experience a foretaste of the kingdom. It's now, it's not yet. It's patchy to ministry, but he does do it. And we have the faith and the courage to go outside, to take it outside. So let's not just pray for people in here. Let's be like the river that goes out, that takes the spirit of God, the kingdom of God out. Mark Cameron, um, the worship director who's just been leading us in worship. On Tuesday, he brought um, this passage from Hebrews to the staff team. And it's a great passage. Uh, it says this. This is the message version. So let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is. Not trying to be privileged insiders, but taking our share in the abuse of Jesus. The insider world is not our home. We have our eyes peeled on a city about to come. Let's take our place outside with Jesus. I really believe that as we do that, 
And as we begin to pray for each other here, and we get used to praying for each other here, and how can we pray for people outside if we don't know how to pray for people in church? Let's pray for people here. I believe that we'll do that, but we'll also go out and we'll pray for people in our workplaces and on the bus. And I believe that we're going to be a church that is just going to be full of stories. It's going to be full of stories, countless stories of Jesus doing some incredible, amazing things. We've set up a, a thing called um, Stories at P's and G's. So if, if you do do that, and if you do encounter a, a moment where you pray for somebody, uh, we'd love to hear about it. So do email in Stories at P's and G's. And the idea is that we can share the story. It will encourage us to pray for other people and to pray for each other. But we can share the stories as well. So if you've engaged in that, we can have it and uh, we can share it together and pray for each other. Let's uh, finish as we started, just with that emphasis on, on starting place being here. We're here now, aren't we? We're all in different places. The emphasis of this passage is on the importance of prayer for the weak and for the sick. I want to invite the band to come up. And we're just going to hold that thought where we are. We want to be a family that cares for each other, a family that prays for each other, a family that, that stands and, and, and holds one another supports one another.